Good morning, everyone. Welcome along to another beautiful day um, in paradise, I am sure. Um, if it's your first, if you're a first-time guest with us in here in the building, or whether you're visiting for the first time online, I want to welcome you and um, invite you. For those that are here, if you're at home, you better get your backside into gear and get here for more after morning tea when we finish here. So you can do that. But it's lovely to have you, and um, want to and um, encourage you as we go through our series, our current series called Fake. And uh, this is a series that we have been looking at where we're looking at some of the ways that Satan tries to imitate what God has already put in place for us to enjoy. And as we look through some of these things, we find that there are many, more than the ones we're going to cover in this series, things that Satan has imitated in our world that God began and so we've looked at in the first week the difference between uh, Christianity and the way that it should be and religion. Uh, we talked about the difference of what it means to be religious as opposed to be a Christ follower. Last week we talked about the fact that Satan has distorted the meaning of the word love or he has distorted love just flat out and what love is all about. And today, I want to take a look at something that Jesus actually warned us about that would be fake, and particularly in the church, and that is about fake Christians. In fact, in Mark 13, this is what Jesus says. He says, um, take heed that no one deceives you, for many in my name will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. And then Matthew 24, he says, false Christs and false prophets will rise and even show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And what Jesus was saying, that whenever the followers of Jesus Christ are, wherever they are and whenever they meet, so too will false prophets and false Christs, people who display outward appearances of being Christian. They're fake. And to make this even more plain, it's, it's not only possible, but I would say very likely that there are people in churches around our nation, around our Western culture and, and perhaps even the entire world who look like Christians, act like Christians, sound like Christians, but are not Christians. People who, who look good on the outward appearance and are able to portray godly demeanour, but really they're not Christ followers at all. So if Jesus warns us that there would some who would come in his name and be deceptive in their teaching, even to the point where some of the elect, those who are faithful and maturing in their work or in the love of Jesus Christ would be deceived, we need to take some notice. And in fact, Jesus actually gives us uh, further warnings and in Matthew 13, Jesus gives us a parable to talk about this very issue that will help us know how these kinds of people 
deceive others but can end up in the church. And if we're not careful, uh, we can be deceived by them. And, and what we need to do about it, Jesus tells us what we need to do about it. So if you would like to turn with me, it'll be on screen. For those at home, it'll be watching. Uh, it'll be on the bottom of your screens. But in Matthew 13, beginning at verse 24, Jesus, um, or it says this, another parable he put forth, that would be Jesus, to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and had produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us to go then and gather them up? He said, No. Lest while you gather them up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And at the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And he said to them, jumping to verse 37, sorry. He would jump to verse 37 if you're following on your own devices, because this is what he he outlines what that all means. He says to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather up out of his kingdom all the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And since this is a parable, a parable is... A, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and the intent of a parable is that we, we, this analogy or this comparison between something that we understand and a spiritual concept. So with all parables, um, much of this story is symbolic. It's not relating to an actual um, true story or anything like that. It's meant to be symbolic, meaning that each of the components has a, a meaning and in this parable, just so as there are no misunderstandings and no misconceptions and misteachings in this, Jesus actually gives us the meaning of each of these parts, just as we read in verses 37 through to 39. And he tells us that the one who sows is the son of man, the one who the field is the good is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, the tares are the ones of the wicked one, the wicked, sorry, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is at the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. He's told us those things very clearly. There's no um, wonder about that at all. So this is not about good farming practice. Jesus is not telling his disciples how to grow wheat or even how to harvest it. This is a warning to those who hear the parable of what is going on 
as the gospel or what will be going on as the gospel is preached to all nations. And Jesus is giving us fair warning. And so he says, along with the wheat, those who are part of the kingdom of God, that's the wheat, the good seed, there will be these tares and those who are not of the kingdom. The, the evil one has planted them. And they, the wheat and the tares, though, will grow up alongside of each other. At first, it will be really difficult to tell them apart, but it will become obvious which is which. So the first, if you're following along in your sermon notes, the first point is where do they come from? Where do they come from? And the answer is really simple. Jesus tells us in verse 25, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed the tares among the wheat and went his way. Taking advantage of the darkness, the enemy crept in and tried to destroy the crop of wheat. Now, again, Jesus isn't worried about the wheat harvest, but he is concerned about a harvest that has much more um, intent and purpose, and that is the kingdom of God. And it's a warning to the church of our day to be careful that we, as God's people, do not fall asleep while we are doing the work that we're called to do, the workers of the field. What does it mean to fall asleep? It doesn't mean that you have to stay up 24-7. But it does mean that we are to be constantly on guard for our own life and watching out for one another by reading the Word of God, by understanding what the Word of God tells us, by meditating on the Word, studying it, making sure that we are surrounding ourselves with, with godly people who will keep us accountable, not slinking off into the background so that we can do things secretly. It's being on guard so that we're not going to fall asleep in this area of Christian faith. We need to be held accountable. And if we, we are adverse to those sorts of things, we may very well find ourselves sleeping. And what happens is that while we are not alert, while we're not doing those things that we know we really should, Satan is doing in our life and in the lives of those around us the things that he does. He plants thoughts. He, he creates deceptive temptations for us. All of us need people in our lives who will help keep us on track. And here's the thing. Satan does have power. He only has power to persuade or allure us or, or seduce us into doing things. He does not have the power to force us to do those things. He doesn't have the power to make us do anything. What happens when he, what he does is he allows us to, to make our own choices based on the persuasions and the temptations that he lays out before us. He gives us an alternative and kind of comes to us like he did to Eve. Did God really say that? Goodness me, that's a bit tough. That's a bit rough. Why would, why would you want to do what God is telling you to do when he won't let you do so much? 
And Satan brings these little temptations into us. And when we give in to temptation, we make ourselves very vulnerable in those areas. That's why Jesus warned two, two people, two women, in fact, after he had healed them to go and sin no more. He warned them that there was a way or he prepared them and, and put into their mind that there was a way that we could live that where sin does not have the power over us any longer. And 1 Peter actually reminds us to be on guard. He says in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion and looking for someone to devour. And that's what Satan's doing. And if we as Christ's servants, those who desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, if we watched and did our duty of being alert, as Peter warns us to, there would be a whole heap less wickedness in the world, I believe, if Christians would do what we're supposed to do. And there would be much less open wickedness in the church, secret sins, in fact, in the church. You don't have to think too hard, but the church globally has come under serious attack for a lot of sinful behaviour in recent times. Some of it's only coming out now that happened many years ago. If Christians did what they were supposed to do and stayed alert to what we were called to do, that wouldn't happen. We need to stand firm if that's what happens when we fall asleep. The devil comes and he plants thoughts into our minds. And if we're not ready, if we are asleep, we may find ourselves just falling into those things of temptation, choosing to do what we're not supposed to. We're to remain firm and strong in our faith because in, in Revelation 12, we read that Satan has declared war against those who profess Christ as Lord. You are in a battle. I am in a battle. And we need to realise this isn't just some easy thing to do. This is not once you become a Christian, you don't have any problems left. There's always going to be concerns that we have. Yes, we will have a reward at the end. And yes, there are going to be blessings along the way. And yes, Jesus is with us to help us, guide us but the temptations will still be there. And if we are asleep, we may find ourselves falling into that. Romans 12 says the dragon was enraged with the woman. And we read later that this dragon is Satan. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You and I are in a war and we are needing to be alert. We cannot afford to fall asleep. Sinful behaviour across the church over the years has done so much damage to the body of Christ today. And Satan is more happy than ever about that fact. So we need to not fall asleep because they come when we are asleep. If we stay alert we refuse, we refuse or we can be alert to those things. Secondly, how can we identify them? So if we have fallen asleep and they have come in, how can we identify them? 
I don't know whether you picked it up either as we read through it, but I find it really, really interesting that it's not until the wheat begins to produce a crop that the, te- the tares begin to show. They were there all the time, but it isn't until the wheat starts to show or to produce its crop that the tares are noticed. How, how then can we identify them? Well, I think the answer is quite plain then. As you read that verse, it says because they, the wheat will be producing a crop, the tares won't. The tares won't produce a crop, only those who are planted as the sons of God. And the wheat developed its head of grain and the weeds on the tares did not. So the way to identify who is and who is not part of the kingdom is whether or not there is fruit produced. And Jesus said as much in, Matthew, in, in John 15, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. So even in this process of of bearing fruit, there are going to be times when we are pruned back, not to destroy us, but to help us produce more fruit. So what that means is that there are some who may identify as a Christian but really are not producing any fruit for the kingdom. That's why it's so important that if we call ourselves a Christ follower, that's why it's that we are producing fruit. Not producing fruit is not the way that we're supposed to be. We ought to be following the commission that Jesus gave us in, in Matthew 28 when he tells us every one of us, not just the leadership, but every one of us to go and make disciples and to teach them and to equip them and to produce more disciples. It's not even possible understanding that to be a Christ follower and not produce fruit because that's what wheat does. And what's the fruit that as Christians we have? Well, there's a couple of verses. Matthew 7 says a good tree produces good fruit, bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And what does this fruit look like? Well, Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that God gives us as we trust Him is love, joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's, the good fruit, the good fruit or the good seed, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, if we live faithful lives following Jesus Christ, let us also walk in the Spirit not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. It's about having 
a changed life and moulded into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's becoming like him and being a disciple of his. A disciple disciples others. A disciple does the work of making more disciples. That's bearing fruit. That's producing fruit. Disciples make disciples then who make disciples, reproducing after their own kind, the way that it was ordained way back in Genesis. It's what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. He says, and the things, this is Paul speaking, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit those things to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Four generations are mentioned in that one verse. Paul, um, Timothy, the faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. Four generations of discipleship. And what the servant's question, question highlights in this parable, what do we do with these tares, highlights a strange fact that where good seed is sown, evil seems to always show up. When God's people become effective in ministry, we can be pretty sure that there is going to be a seed that is not godly planted in amongst God's people. Satan uses devious means of hindering the work so the harvest is much more difficult to take. How do we... How do we produce fruit? How do we harvest or how's the harvest, the the wheat harvested when all these other weeds are in there? Satan uses those things to prevent us from being effective and we need to expect that. And so rather than quitting and giving up on the process, we're told we need to endure through the difficulties and remain faithful through them. They will happen. And Paul goes on in his advice to Timothy in the next couple of verses. He says, therefore, Timothy, excuse me, therefore you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. What did Revelation 12 tell, 12 tell us? That we are in a battle. What does Timothy tell, uh, Paul tell Timothy? That we need to engage our, ourselves in this battle and we cannot concern ourselves with the things of this world but keep our mind fixed on things above. Which leads us straight into the next point, if you're, if you're following along with that, what, we need to do, what do we need to do about them? What do we need to actually do? How do we function and produce fruit in a world that is anti-Christ? And again, Jesus tells us what we need to do about them in verses 28 to 30. He says, the enemy's done this, so we, we're not to, he says in verse 30, let both grow up until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The reality is that in the church there will be Christ followers and there will be fake Christ followers. They, They will be here. 
They will be around. And Jesus says, in order to preserve the wheat, in order to preserve those who are doing what we're supposed to be doing, the best thing to do is to allow both to grow up together. What does that mean for us as a church? It literally means that it's not up to us to judge that. It's not up to us to judge who is and who isn't a Christian in our churches. We may have an idea and the, the, by what fruit's being given, but what if we get it wrong? We may just turn someone away from their faith rather than helping them grow out of immaturity into strong faith. We have to be cautious. And what Jesus tells us in this parable is we, and it's, it's until the end that these things will be dealt with. And he tells us that it's the reapers, not the slaves, who are going to take care of that at harvest time. He says in Matthew 13, 41, he says, the, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will be the ones responsible to gather the kingdom, all the things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And, and will, they're the ones who will cast them into the furnace of fire. The reapers are the angel. They're not human beings. They're not us. We're not responsible for doing that part of the work. That's not our, our job. Our job is to tend the wheat, our own lives, and to allow both to grow up. Why would we do that? Because we're not in a position to see the heart. Evidence might point to some things, but we really don't know. God sends his angels on the mission of separating the wheat from the tares. It's, that's the mission for the end of the age. Some of the other parables talk about sheep and goats, wheat and tares in this one. And while it's important that those who are opposed to the word of God and show contempt for the way, his ways, those people should be kept out of ministry leadership. That's important that we only attribute leadership to those who love the Lord. We must be careful that they're not cut off from receiving forgiveness and salvation in the process. That's why they need to grow up together in the church. It's why we need to love one another no matter where we come from. Who knows? what the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will do in a heart after hearing the Word of God. He has the ability and the heart to change people's lives so that no longer do we do the things that we want to do, but we do the things that He wants us to do. The good and the bad need to be in this world. But the reality in the end, it's God who is going to send His angels into this place and he is the one or they are the ones who will separate those who are Christ followers from those who are not. And they will be all at that point very plainly seen. Before that time, it's going to be difficult because they look alike. Until the harvest is ready, it's going to be hard. 
It's going to be hard to distinguish between them. And if we do try that, we miss the point of our role in being a light to the nation that we live in and our community because we're to love each other. We're to love one another as we love ourselves. And Luke even reminds the Jews of his day of the command that God has given to us even in in Acts 13. He says, for God or the Lord has commanded us, I have set you, this is the Jewish people of Peter's, of, of Paul, uh, Peter, Luke's day, let's get it out, Ron. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be salvation for the ends or to the ends of the earth. That's the point of us as being Christ followers, that we would be a light to the others, those that do not know Christ, that That's not an invitation for us to separate ourselves from one another. Oh, don't want to be with them. Don't want to touch those people. Don't want to live near those people. Don't want to have anything to do with those kind of people. It's it's not even an invitation to ignore them. Our responsibility in this process is to live holy lives in the midst of them with the hope that they too would receive the light that we have received. To see the purity of the wheat, unless, of course, we've fallen asleep. The kingdom of heaven grows as we live faithful lives in the midst of our neighbour and our neighbourhood and our community. The thing we need to be careful of in this whole process is that we We don't fall asleep and we become like them, which is what sometimes does happen. The temptations of this world just draw us slowly, ever so slowly, away from where we're supposed to be. That's what we read a few weeks ago. In fact, I think it was last week as well in Romans 12, verse 2, we're told that we should not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but rather we let God's word transform our thinking Or another way of saying that, renew our thoughts, renew our minds. We need to let the Word of God change the way that we think. So while fake Christianity is not helpful to the cause of Christ following, we do need to learn to live in amongst them. We do, to love them, to regard them in the same manner that Christ loves them, to to continue to proclaim the message of hope and praying that God will work in the heart, the hardened heart, so that their life can also be productive. Maybe there are some even today who recognise that their faith has not been where it should be, that it's been a little fake in, in some areas. Just because we come to church or just because we serve on a ministry team or just because we read our Bibles or even attend A Bible study doesn't determine our level of faith. Anyone can do those things. What determines our level of faith is our willingness to grow spiritually and then the ability to produce fruit. And when we do those things because it's expected or we feel that we have to or we do them because we're worried about what other people think, or might think, that should be a red flag to us if that's our thinking in the process of what we do and why we do what we do. 
it might be a red flag to say that, you know what, maybe, Ron, your faith is not as strong as it should be. And again, while we don't have the authority to judge others on their faith, that's not our responsibility to do that. We do have a responsibility to evaluate our own. And I, and I want us today to consider that because there is a wonderful opportunity today to evaluate our faith, our individual faith, uh, to look and ask the Lord to say and say to us, this is an area that we need to deal with. And it might be necessary for some to, to actually just make a recommitment, say, you know what, Lord, I have blown it and I know I've blown it. I'm making a fresh commitment to you. And I want to do that today. To have the joy of serving restored rather than having it to be a burden any longer. It's to have the excitement of meeting together, the excitement of coming into the body of Christ and being like-minded and, and enjoying the worship of being and fellowship of togetherness. To have the enthusiasm of what it means to, to share the gospel and see the gospel re-established in our community, to see the Holy Spirit begin His work across Yapoon and the Central Coast here to have the delight of seeing a person give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time and not just think that that's some <laughs> idea because that's what we fall into. It's a delight to have those things. It's a joy to have fellowship with other believers. It's a joy to worship together. There should be nothing that we would rather do or, or place rather be than to be in the fellowship of the believers, to enjoy being with one another. That's not always possible. And you know what? We live in a very privileged position in our society where we have technology that allows us to do those things, but the meeting together in person is by far the best responsible place that we should be relationship is so important. We need to make an effort for that. Put ourselves out for that and have the delight of seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to invite, want to invite you today because I don't know where you are. Maybe this is the first time that you've been here and, and you're not sure what's what's happening or God is speaking to you. Maybe you've been here a long time and maybe you've, you sense God speaking to you in, in your heart and you know something's going on deep in, in, inside and what do I do about that? How do I make that right? Well, I want to encourage you because right at this moment and during this song, we're going to have a song in just a short minute and it's a commitment song but it's also a time of recommitment where we come before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you are one of those people, don't be worried about what other people are thinking. That's their problem, not yours. God's interested in making sure that the wheat is right. And he's going to leave everything until the right time before the harvest time. And it's not too late. While we draw breath, it's not too late. So 
wherever you are in this walk today, I want to encourage you, come and seek some prayer. Ask, I'll, I'll stand over here in just a minute, but come and pray. And we're going to, after, after this song that we're about to have, we're going to, we're going to have communion together together. And communion is about the fellowship of the believers. It's about an opportunity where we want to gather and and we're warned in Scripture that we shouldn't eat and drink together with, with unforgiveness in our heart or something that's wrong in our heart. If we've got an issue with a brother or a sister or, or something going on in our life that's not right, we need to do one of or probably two things, go and sort it out. And that might be a time that you need to do during this song as well. Go and sort it out. If it's someone in the room, go and sort it out. If it's someone that's not around, then don't take communion today. It's not a, get, that's not a negative thing. That's a positive thing. It's indicating that our heart wants to be obedient to God. So it's an open invitation. You don't have to be part or a member of the Wesleyan Methodist Church to take communion. This is an open table ready for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that right after this song. So let me pray. And then as the musos come up, we're going to be, um, I'll stand over here, but I invite you to come. And if you need prayer, to do that. And we all need prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care and attention to detail and and Lord, as we read through this parable, it's, it's really easy to see your, your love and grace and mercy for even the tares. Father, that they might grow up alongside one another and you've called us as your people to be a light to our nation, a light to our community, to live in such a way that we will see the, the, the community transformed that there would be fruit in our life, that we would be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, making disciples who will make disciples. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the, the process, the means to be able to do that. Also the, the way in which Jesus has shown us to live in this world and not need to give in to temptation but to Stand strong and firm, be strong and courageous so that we might be able to live in this, in this world and do the work that you've called us to do. So, Father, bless this people today. For those who are here, those that are watching online now or at some point into the future, I thank you for each one. And may your name be honoured in the hearts of each of us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.